0: To Revelation chapter number 14. Revelation chapter number 14. This chapter seems to conclude the third account of the tribulation pictured in the book of Revelation. If you'll remember, the very beginning I stated. The, that I believe there are four separate pictures given of the tribulation period, and I say that because each section ends with the end, that is the coming of the Lord, and we saw that in chapter number six, and where we had a panoramic view of all of this time up until the end, and the Lord comes back and we had a parenthetical chapter for explanation in chapter 7, but then we had a second picture in chapter uh, chapters 8 through 11, and then the third picture began in chapter number 12 and ends with this chapter tonight. And so, as we go through here, I want you to notice that the scene changes from earth to heaven. We've been focused on things of the earth in our previous study, but now we look into heaven, as it were, where seven angels appear, each angel with a message of things to come. It has been suggested by one commentator that this chapter is something like a table of contents of the things in the remainder of the book. And I think that's an interesting comment and right spot on, in fact. And so, in this chapter, before we look at the last account of the tribulation, it's like he's giving us just these seven snapshots of what we are about to look at the first The first vision that John sees is begins in verse one down through verse five, and I want you to notice the scene let's read all five verses, and then we'll comment. I looked and lo. A lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, notice in verse number 1, the scene And in this scene, notice our attention is called to a lamb. Well, surely no one would doubt the fact that this speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And over and over again, he's likened to a lamb. And so this is a picture of Christ himself. And notice that in this scene, he sees the lamb. Notice on Mount Zion, and evidently this speaks of the heavenly Zion. This is why it's so important when we study the Bible that we compare Scripture with Scripture instead of just isolating a particular verse and in doing so, we might surmise that this is speaking about the earthly Mount Zion, where in fact, if you read in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, it speaks there about the heavenly Mount Zion. Uh, maybe to better illustrate that is the fact that when we think about the Old Testament tabernacle and later on the temple, that those were mere pictures of the heavenly tabernacle, you see. And so they, they were a, a crude illustration of what the real thing is like And so when we talk about Mount Zion, here we see a picture in heaven of the Lamb of God. And notice what it says here. It says, they heard and learned a song. And Well, that song, of course, is the one that he mentions in verse number 3, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But then it says that they were redeemed from the earth, verse number 3. And verse 5 says, they were before the throne Of God, and so you put all of that together, and obviously this Mount Zion is speaking about a place that there is near to the throne of God, and so it is a it is a poetic vision of the ultimate triumph of the hundred and forty four thousand Jews who were sealed during the tribulation period. Now that's the scene, but here's the song. Verse number 2 and 3, and notice the vibrations of the song, he says, were as rushing waters. And then the volume of the song was as thunder. If we go back to Revelation chapter 5, and you don't need to turn there, but in that chapter, in verses 8, 9, and 10, John saw a much larger chorus representing all believers. But notice here, that in this particular scene, he speaks of the 144,000 tribulation Jews. These are the 144,000 that were saved by the grace of God during the tribulation, and that through their evangelistic efforts, according to chapter number 7, they were able to win great multitudes of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in 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 here we find that, that this is their song. Back there in chapter number 5, we see the words are given. But here, uh, the words are not given. So we see the scene in the song, but look at verse number 4 and 5 again. And here's the picture of the saints, because notice it says, "...they were redeemed from the earth." That's in verse number 3. And notice there are five characteristics. He says, "...they are virgins, that they were not defiled with women." The word virgin simply means pure or chaste. And and here it's speaking more than anything else about their spiritual purity amid the ungodliness of the day. If verse 4 is taken literally, there would be only men among the 144,000. And I don't know that we can make that assumption and say of the 144,000 Jews that are saved and sealed... It's only men, no women. I, I'm, I'm not going there anyway. And uh, so if you want to apply that, you know, strictly, uh, that's what the case would be. But if you make reference to their spiritual condition, the fact that they maintain their purity. And remember, remember when this is. It's during the tribulation, that most awful period upon the face of the earth. Which is evidence that we can live godly regardless of what the circumstances are. Look at verse number 4. Not only they are pure, but they are obedient. It said, they follow the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. So they are separated from the world, but separated unto Christ. By the way, there's a big difference. You can be like a monk in a monastery and separate yourself from all of the evil things of the world and never do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not at all what God intends it 's one thing you know to say well i don 't do this and i don 't do that and so forth it 's another thing to do the things that we're commanded to do. and so here we see not only have they maintained their purity but also their obedience and then notice they are identified as the first fruits. That indicates that the one hundred and forty four thousand jews introduced there in chapter number seven they were the first fruits of the tribulation saints. I don't have time to go back through all of the details of it, but you'll remember that we said earlier, as Paul was writing to the Thessalonians about uh, about the tribulation and the Antichrist, and he spoke about those that were deceived, those that were deceived believing the lie of the Antichrist, says God will send them a strong delusion. And, and I made the statement at some point during our study that those, if Christ was to come today, those people that have heard the gospel will believe the lie of the antichrist. They'll never be. They'll, they'll never be saved. And a lot of people, you know, think, "Well, well, if the Lord comes and I see I was wrong, then I'll get saved." No, you won't. You won't, because when when that time comes, you're going to believe the lie of the antichrist. So the first people saved during the tribulation are. Or who one hundred and forty four thousand Jews, obviously people that have not heard the gospel, the Jews that have believed in in well whatever but but no doubt believe perhaps in the historical religion of the Jews and so forth, but have rejected uh, you know the 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 prophecies concerning Christ, but during that time they 're going to be saved, and they are the first fruits. Because there are going to be a great multitude out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Revelation chapter number 7. And I want to reemphasize what I said in chapter number 7. That tells us that, tells us that not everybody in America has heard the gospel. You know, sometimes we assume, well, we've got a church on every corner. Everybody has heard the gospel. No, they haven't. Even a lot of people out there in those churches have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They use the same religious jargon that we do. They've heard the phrase, born again. They know about Jesus and celebrate Christmas and things of that nature, but they've never heard the gospel. No one has ever explained it to them whatsoever. And so during that time there are going to be a great many saved, but the hundred and forty four thousand are identified as the first fruits. And then notice not only are they pure and obedient and the first fruits, he tells us that they are truthful. He says that they there is no guile That is, that they're honest, sincere, and truthful. And then notice it says that they are without fault. So again, that shows that we can be at our best when the world is at its worst. We can be at our best when the world is at its worst. Without fault. Look, that does not mean to be blameless or without fault does not in any wise mean that we are perfect. It means that we're simply living in such a way that no one can bring an indictable charge against us. It means that we're doing our best to follow the Lord and to obey Him. So that describes these people. That's the first vision. Now the second vision commences in verse number 6. Verse number 6 and 7, and here in this, this second vision, he says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. So we're still there in heaven getting the picture of what's going on. Having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. "...to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and uh, the fountains of water." Now, notice the angel's message here in verse number 6. It says that that they, he's proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Strangely enough, There are those that try to make that mean something other than what it is. In other words, they describe the everlasting gospel as something other than the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. But I don't see any reason whatsoever why this wouldn't mean exactly what it says. It is the everlasting gospel. It's not a different gospel. It's the same gospel that's been proclaimed down through the ages. And this is God's last warning, as it were, to the wicked. Remember, remember, we are talking about the time during the tribulation period. And the 144,000 Jews are sounding out the gospel. And here in heaven, we're seeing this angel with the message proclaiming the everlasting Gospel, and so this warning is given: the sword is lifted, just judgment is sure, and notice the mission, the mission of this angel in verse seven, same with a loud voice, and notice what he says that we are to fear God, glorify God, we are to worship God, so that, that's the mission that 's the message from the, from the messenger now verse eight. We see the third vision. And he says, "...and there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication." This angel is pronouncing doom upon Babylon, and Babylon is symbolic of the worldly systems of the day. I want you to notice that he uses that phrase, is fallen, two times. That might not make much sense now, but when we get over to chapter number 17 and 18, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. Because there we see the destruction of Babylon in the ecclesiastical sense as well as in the political sense. And so I want you to keep that in mind. We talked about the two beasts, right? The Antichrist. The Antichrist, of course, is going to be the man in charge, as it were, of the political system of the world, the revived Roman Empire. He'll be the man with his hand on the button to send, you know, the, the start a nuclear warfare. <clears throat> or whatever, but but also there was the false prophet, speaking of the religious aspect of the system in that day. So we have the political system and the ecclesiastical or the religious part of the system. And so when he talks about Babylon is fallen, we'll go into detail when we get to chapter 17 and 18 where he describes that. But for now, I just want to call that to your attention. The good news is, in this vision, and because of this, we receive a word of assurance that regardless of how settled in his position the Antichrist might seem to be, regardless of how much power he might seem to have, regardless of how many people that might supposedly follow him, you can rest assured when it's all said and done, and the smoke is cleared and the battle is over, we win. He loses. That's the whole point here. Because Babylon will have fallen. Now, beginning in verse 9, we see the fourth vision. And he says, uh, verse number 9, and the, and the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If a man worship the beast and his image to receive the mark, in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed of the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, the Spirit, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp Sickle. So this is the fourth vision here in this chapter. Now, remember, the former angel announced the doom of this godless system upon this earth, but this, this angel is focused in on the doom of individuals who reject God. And notice that even in those evil days, as I mentioned a while ago, there are those who, look at verse number 12, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that good to know? You know, sometimes we feel like we're all alone and everybody else has forsaken the faith. Look, God always has a remnant of people, and you can depend on that. And notice it says, their works do follow them. And that gives us another evidence that we're talking about tribulation saints, because when the Bible speaks about the present day saints, we are always told that their works go before them. Right? In every instance, it speaks about those of us living now, the saints of God. It says, and their works go before them. But here it's speaking about their works do follow them. So he's speaking about the tribulation, the, the, the saints, and the fact that their works are going to follow them, their faithfulness is going to pay off. And look at verse number 13, because he assures us here that amid the terrible torments of the tribulation, notice this, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Forth. Now there's two reasons why they're blessed. Number one is rest, number two is rewards. And we could go on and make a long list of all of the benefits of being born again and the blessings of, you know, knowing that you're going to heaven. But blessed are the dead which die, notice, in the Lord. That's the whole key right there. That die in the Lord. If you're not in Christ, why, you're going to end up in hell. But those in the Lord, notice he says, they are blessed from henceforth. If we go back to the book of Daniel, he tells us that the Antichrist, this is in chapter 7, verse 25, he, he uses a phrase there to, to speak about the difficulties that the saints are going to go through during the tribulation. And he says in that verse that the Antichrist shall wear out the saints of the Most High. <laughs> he's going to wear them out. I, I mean, he's going to wear us as it were to a frazzle. But... They're blessed in the sense that they're going to find rest. And then he makes this statement in chapter 12, "...and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever." And what does he say here? Our, "...their works do follow them." Put all of that together. You have rest and rewards He says the Antichrist is going to wear out the saints, but they're going to find rest. And he says, they they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament in heaven, and they that turn many to righteousness, he tells us here, that as a result of that they shall shine as the brightness of the stars forever and forever. In, in, In other words, there's going to be some lasting effect. There's going to be some glorious reward as a result of you and I being soul winners and turning others to righteousness, a wonderful thing, and nobody ever said it better than the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter number fifteen of the first letter, and 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 he he tells us there that uh, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that great? I mean, how many how many times have maybe. Maybe it was when you were going through a dark trial in your life. Maybe it was when you were going through some difficult trouble in your life. It might be when you were in the middle of a conflict with some brother or sister or whatever the problem was. I mean, it just it just had you drag, dragged down and all of the energy zapped from you and you're so discouraged and you're about to give up your Sunday school class because it's not growing and things aren't going well. And, and, and the, the, the devil puts it in your mind that you're just spinning your wheels, wasting your time. And that's when you need to go back and claim this promise. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm looking at Crystal back there because I remember several years ago, her grandpa called me and uh, wanted me to come and to to speak at a a workers' banquet. And, And we went to a steakhouse over there. He wanted me to speak to the workers, Sunday school teachers and bus workers and so forth. And that was the very text that I used trying to encourage them to always be mindful of the fact that, look, folks, we might not see the great results we want to see, but our labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, I'm certain that all of those that love this church, we'd like to see it packed out every Sunday. We would like to grow, you know, to where we couldn't build buildings fast enough. But, but the fact that those dreams aren't realized cannot be a deterrent to us serving God. I, I mean, nobody ever said it's going to be easy. we got to keep on keeping on, regardless of how difficult it is. And payday comes someday. Right. Amen. It's not right now. Payday comes someday. Now, we come to verse 15, and we see the fifth vision beginning here. And he says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now This reference, and I want you to listen carefully, and and when we get to chapter 19, I'll deal more with this subject, but for now, I I just want to mention a a few facts. This seems to speak about post-tribulation, the post-tribulation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is when the tribulation saints are going to be resurrected. If you go to chapter number 20 in verses 4, 5, and 6, it tells us that there will be a resurrection of the saints 1,000 years before Christ. Had the first resurrection mentioned there in that section been the saints that are raptured before the tribulation, the time difference would be 1,000 and what? Seven years, right? Because that would include that would include the time of the of the tribulation. Now I know probably some of you're totally confused right now. This is not making any sense whatsoever. But it will, believe me, later on. I just want you to see that at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's an evident difference between what we speak of as the rapture today, when Jesus could come at any moment. By the way, if He came right now, for example, the Bible doesn't say He's going to come to earth and set up His kingdom. doesn't say His feet's going to touch the earth. He's going to come in the clouds of the air. All of the saints are going to be called up to meet Him in the air and we will go to be with him. It's different, it's different than when he comes at the end of the tribulation and when he comes at the end of the tribulation, the those tribulation saints that have died are going to be resurrected and again meet him in the air, but they immediately come right back as it were to this earth to be with him upon the earth. And we see a difference as we compare this with chapter number 19, because in chapter 14, notice he's sitting on a cloud, but in chapter number 19 it says he's riding a white horse. Here, he carries a sickle. There, he carries a sword. Here, he wears a crown. There, he wears many crowns. Notice here, he comes for the saints. But in the other picture, in chapter number 19, he comes with his saints. So when we, so when we compare all of these scriptures, it appears that Jesus will descend on a cloud the tribulation saints are going to be resurrected meet him in the air come right back to this earth and at at, at that time he commences what we commonly call the millennial the 1,000 year reign of Christ here on this earth and uh, we'll talk more about that later now Now, you see it, look, it just gets better and better and better when you consider what the Lord's going to do. Notice the sixth vision, and that's in verse number 17. And notice he says in this vision, "...another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle." So after the reaping of the tribulation saints that by reaping, I'm talking about their removal from what's going on. Another angel comes to reap those that are wicked. And that brings us to the seventh vision. Immediately as this angel comes to reap, and he says in verse 18, And another angel came out from the alder, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry, to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, "'Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe.' And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, And blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridle, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Notice this angel gives the command for the other angel to thrust in... The sharp sickle, again reminding us that nothing happens without God's permission. Everything is either caused or allowed by the Lord. And notice he says, as he thrusts in the sickle, it's to gather the clusters of the of the grapes. Now remember, this is the judgment of those that are unsaved at that time. Where are they clustered? They are clustered around the Antichrist. They have received His mark, the mark of the beast. They are clinging to Him as it were. And in that day, they're going to be gathered, and the picture is that of putting the grapes in a wine press, and then the the blood of the grape being pressed out. And in this case, it's the blood of those that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is a picture of what we often refer to as the Battle of Armageddon. And we're going to talk a lot about that. And this is at the end of the Tribulation. This is when Christ destroys the Antichrist and his armies. And we'll talk about that later on. But there again, we have the assurance from God's Word. Notice the blood flows to the horse's bridle for a thousand and six hundred Furlongs. And there in that valley, the valley of Armageddon, in that day, when you know, isn't it amazing that even though it's obvious from the works of God that Jesus Christ is indeed who He claimed to be, and isn't it obvious, you know, that He's going to do what He said that He would do, and still people resist Him. Going back to chapter 6, where we ended our study in that chapter, and we talked about the fact that these people have witnessed the fulfillment of prophecy, and the four horsemen come on the scene, and all of these things happen. And Jesus comes, and when He comes at this time, what happened? They hide themselves from Him. Instead of running to Him with a repentant heart, they hide themselves and cry out, for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just goes to show you that regardless of what happens, regardless of how God might manifest Himself to mankind, there are going to be those that are not going to believe regardless of the amount of evidence. I mean... After all, they buried our dear Savior, and after three days and three nights, He got up out of the grave, and the world still doesn't believe. Amen? So, you know, regardless of what you and I do, there are going to be those that are going to reject our message. And remember, you know, we preachers tend, and you've heard me say, that sometimes the most miserable times of my life have been on Sunday afternoons, Because Sunday morning, you know, I'd stand behind the pulpit and I would preach with great expectation of seeing a soul saved, somebody join the church, somebody get right with God, somebody be encouraged seeing something happen, nothing happen. And and, and all of your dreams are dashed to pieces and you go home, you know, and you're depressed because nothing happened. And it's easy to get discouraged and, and, you know, a, a, a lot of times, and believe me, and I know from observation and experience, that sometimes preachers get to the point that they just throw up their hands and quit. They, they resign. I, I can't tell you how many preachers I've known that preached a few years, and because their dreams were not realized, they gave up on the ministry. But it doesn't just happen with preachers, it happens to all of God's servants. You'll remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and said He could do there, no mighty works there. Now think about that. Jesus Christ Himself couldn't do anything there. Why? Because they were their hearts were hardened and they rejected Him. And you mark it down, you mark it down, in spite of all of this, There at the end of the tribulation, Satan is going to have this mighty army, as it were, standing in opposition against Christ and His followers. The good news is, we win. We win. You know, it's always hard to know how to end a service. I was thinking this morning about Caitlin and the fact that she had made a profession of faith, she had presented herself for baptism, she had done all of those things, and yet she was unsaved. And every time that happens, I can't help but wonder how many others are there in the church in that same condition. And tonight, as we, as we think about this picture of horrible, awful, terrible judgment to come upon unbelievers, Ask yourself tonight and be honest. Look, I, I, I don't get a raise just because, you know, every time somebody makes a profession of faith, you know, it ups my salary. It, does, it doesn't help me anyway whatsoever except the joy of knowing that you have it settled in your heart that you're a child of God and that you're safe. Because your name is enrolled in the book of life. If you're here and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved, you need to settle that tonight. Amen. Don't you dare put it off another day because it just might be too late. The, day, the time of salvation, the day of salvation is now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you haven't trusted Him, you need to do that. If you've been saved and you're not serving Him... You need to get serious about it because this picture that we've looked at here tonight speaks about those that are doomed. And and listen to me, listen to me, that very well could be some of your friends and your relatives, those that are lost, those that for now, for now, we have an opportunity to reach. And let's take advantage of that and do all we can to win them to Christ while we can. Let's stand together. Father, I pray tonight that You'll use Your Word to accomplish Your purpose. And dear Lord, if there are those here tonight that have never truly been born again, and even though they've made a profession of faith and been baptized and joined the church and maybe even involved in the church, Lord, help them to not live another moment in fear and doubt, not knowing for certain that they've been redeemed. Help them tonight to have the, the the courage and convict them by Your Spirit tonight and draw them to Yourself that they might be born again. And may each and every one of us be mindful tonight of the great importance of us doing what we can while we can to reach those that are lost before it's too late. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing tonight, if God has laid something on your heart, would you come? You don't have to say a word to me. It might be that you just want to come and pray for your unsaved loved ones. I don't know. But whatever it is God would have you to do, let's do it now while we sing.